everybody, and welcome back to For Everybody Trades. And Happy New Year to you. From me, your host, John Miller. Hope everything is going to go great for you in 2019. Best wishes and all that good stuff. So what are we here to talk about today? Well, the stock market, right? That crazy son of a bitch. What the hell is going on with the market these days? The last three months have been kind of nuts, right? And nuts in a bad way. Nuts in a, not a, hey, we were buying. Nope. It's been a lot, a lot of selling. One thing that occurred to me when I was talking with my family, and of course they were quizzing me about the market, is it seems like we're almost at the point where all of the weak hands have been shaken out of the market. So I was talking to my my uncle, for instance, and it seems like, yeah, he wasn't thrilled about where the, he's no more happy about what the market's done the last two or three months than I am, but he's also a, a 70-year-old man who has seen these kind of times before. It seems like we're now at the point where there are just holders left. There aren't a lot of bidders, but there are holders. Now, we're obviously, we're getting bids the last few days here since the Christmas holiday, apparently. Now, there's a whole lot of mechanical reasons that I'm not going to totally go into and bore you as to why hedge funds and mutual funds tend to paper their gains at the end of the, at the, end of the year, yada, yada, yada. All of that really isn't all that important. What is important, I think, at this moment is to just sit back and watch and learn for the most part. Because right now, I'm not sure how you can totally game where this market's going to go one way or the other at the moment. I really don't. So if you're in for the long term, I think you need to continue to hold your positions. Because I really, truly have no idea where the stock market's going to be in a month, two months, three months. But I do imagine that Amazon is going to be higher in five years, certainly. That part I'm confident in. So if you're with me there, here's an important concept to understand. I actually want to share you a quote from, believe it or not, John Maynard Keynes. See, while Keynes is the biggest, most influential economist in America today, despite not even being alive, I am an opponent of just about everything that Mr. Keynes believes in, at least at a very fundamental philosophical level. However, Keynes knows some stuff. He has some really good quotes sometimes. One of my favorites is, in the long run, we're all dead. That's a good quote, right? That's funny. But then also there's another quote that I've heard people use a lot that I'm also a fan of, and it's this. Keynes said, the market can remain irrational longer than you can remain liquid. So what is Mr. Keynes getting at there with that quote, with the quote that the market can remain irrational longer than you can remain liquid? Well, did you see the movie The Big Short? Well, when Christian Bale's character, the eccentric guy who has figured out before anybody else that the housing market is about to crash, he starts selling the housing market short with the instruments that he can. Well, Again, Kane's quote comes into play here because while Bale was ultimately proven correct and he made oodles and oodles of money when the housing market ultimately crashed, there was a period of months there where Bale's character was having to borrow money in order to fund his short positions. And in that mo- those months, it wasn't as though Bale was immediately proven correct and the market immediately sold off. No, it took some time, and in that amount of time, the market, in fact, went against Bale and Bale's character and his positions. Now, what does that mean? The movie, there's another movie 
that came out around the same time that's called Margin Call that deals with a with the similar times, the 2008 real estate and financial crisis. Now, an actual margin call, that's what happens when you're borrowing money from your brokerage and they decide your position is now too far against you. They're, you're taking on too much risk, so they force you to sell your position. See, that's what Keynes is getting at. One of the things that Keynes is getting at anyway about needing time to remain liquid. See, if your positions are going against you so hard and you're buying against and you're borrowing against the market, you're borrowing money to be in the market, to sell short, whatever it is you're trying to do, what you are is you're taking time and making it shorter. See, in the stock market, you can hold on as long as you want, as long as you own the stocks and you don't need the money. But if you're borrowing money, if you're trading on margin, your broker can make that time-based decision for you. They can say, no, actually, we don't want you to hold on anymore. Oh, you've seen you've seen the long-term gains before, 70-year-old guy. You think you can ride out these waves? Well, too bad. We don't think you can, and we're going to make that decision for you. This is exactly why I always advise people to never borrow money to invest. Ever. Ever, 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 ever. You can't do it. But I will say, I will point out that if you are going to sell short, if you're going to try to create a short position, as Christian Bale's character did in The Big Short, you are going to have to trade on margin. And now why is that? Well, if you think about it, when you buy a stock, the risk is whatever you bought it. Assuming you paid for it with your own money, if you put $10,000, if you bought $10,000 long a stock, all you can lose is $10,000. The company can go out of business, the stock can go to zero, and poof, your money's gone. But a short position is another matter because in theory, what's the top of a stock? There is no trillion, one quadrillion dollar. In theory, a stock can go up forever. So having said that, you can lose a lot more than you just put into it. Therefore, you have to be on margin. And again, if you have a large short position, you can easily get margin called by your broker. Anyway, that's just a big roundabout sort of inside baseball way of explaining to you all how important it is to be able to hold on to your stocks for the long term. If you don't have the confidence, the time, or the assets and able, be able to hold on to a position that you believe in, you truly believe in for the long term, if you can't ride out these kind of moments, these kind of waves, then you're probably positioned wrong. You probably shouldn't be in the market then. But I guess what I'm telling everybody is if you aren't in the market yet, this is not the moment to start diving in. If you wanted to start picking away at some companies, actually that moment was two weeks ago during the height of the panic. Now that we've recovered a couple percent here, now is not really the time to start jumping in because now the knife has a potential to start dropping again. You never know. You never want to catch that falling knife. But most people are listening to this who are interested in stocks probably are already in the market. And my main takeaway is as long as you're not trading on margin, again, just remain strong. If you have Amazon, hang in there. If you have Apple, a company that is sitting on top of a mountain of cash, 
Just hang in there. They're not going anywhere. You may not have loved the latest iPhone release, the latest iPad. It may have been a little overwhelming in terms of just incremental improvements. I can agree with that. But you see, we've shed $60 from the stock, at least. Where is Apple trading today, anyway? Yeah, $158. Yeah, it was recently trading at $220 at at its high. So yeah, it was about right, $60. See, Now's the time to start looking at Apple. If you wanted to sell it and sell, lock in some profits at the 200 level, you'd have been a genius. Heck, I sold some up at 200. But now back at 158, might be time to start picking again. Mmm, Apple picking. And also, I think that the defense sector is still, I'm still bullish on it. I'm never not going to be bullish on it, barring some seriously major changes in how world politics is done on this planet. See, while much was made there in the media about Trump's supposed withdrawal, well, not supposed, he actually is withdrawing troops from Syria and a a significant force from Afghanistan as well. But I thought it was very interesting that after a myriad of criticism from all corners of Washington, uh, particularly after his defense secretary, Mad Dog Mattis, resigned, there was a lot of saber-rattling in Washington about this. I mean, even Hillary Clinton weighs in and says, we can't be isolationist and all this stuff. It's interesting to hear Democrats even talk about the need to constantly be in Syria in every little corner of the Middle East and the globe, apparently. That's how deep the tender hooks of, is it tender hooks or tender hooks? Yeah, who cares? That's how deep the talons of the deep state and the warfare state are dug in to Syria and just the Middle East and this whole military industrial complex that is going to keep rolling downhill whether we need it or not. That's the way it seems it's going to go to me. In other words, companies like Northrop Grumman, Raytheon, Lockheed Martin, they're going to keep making money hand over fist for the foreseeable future. And while they haven't performed very well in the last year as far as the stock goes, again, to me, that's just an opportunity. There's not going to be less war in this world. I really wish there were, but... All of human nature and human history suggests that that isn't going to happen. So that's how I'm going to continue to bet. And getting back to my Trump point, he made that surprise visit to Iraq. That wasn't a coincidence. I think that was Trump signaling to the deep state, to the warfare state, to all of the powerful people that would be in Washington that, don't worry, we're not completely pulling out of the Middle East. Because he then said that, Basically, that now Iraq is going to be a stronghold where we're going to base more of our militaristic operations in the Middle East is going to be from Iraq as opposed to spread out more, like in places like Syria. Now, does that mean we're completely out of Syria, quote unquote? No, it doesn't. It actually doesn't mean that at all, as some people initially celebrated. That would be great if we were completely out of the Middle East, to be honest. You can call me a hippie you can call me a peacenik you can call me whatever you want i'm not saying that believe me i'm not saying that everything is perfect in the middle east and things will be great as soon as we pull out i'm saying we're not doing anything good there but you know what who cares what i think because it's never going to change at least not in the foreseeable future and quite honestly even if the united states did pull out of these places even if they said 
hey, you know what? Europe, all you people that were essentially Japan, all these places that the United States is essentially paying for their defense, if we stop doing that, well, then they'd have to pick up that that spending some way or another. So instead of Raytheon getting money from the United States government, they'd simply get money from the German and Japanese governments instead. Again, if you're a shareholder of those companies, who cares where you get the money? You're still going to get the money. They still have you over a barrel, essentially. And just as far as the term isolationism goes, I'd really like to make a clear distinction between isolationism and foreign policy neutrality. Now, just because you're neutral, if you're a neutral nation, like Switzerland, for instance, has been neutral for decades, that doesn't mean you're isolated from the rest of the world. Switzerland is one of the biggest world traders that there is. Their watches are bought throughout the world. We all know that. So, and yes, you can travel to Switzerland. You can be a foreign person and possibly move there. They are not isolated. Roger Federer is not isolated behind the walls of Switzerland. He can go wherever he wants, apparently. So let's not mistake staying out of people's lives via military with not trading, with withdrawing from the world, because those two things are not the same thing. Frankly, the more we trade with people throughout the world, the more peaceful of a society you're going to have. Because even racists are, it's really hard for racist people or just hateful people of any kind to implement their ways directly because they can't see most of the people who are providing them things because there are so many different factors, so many different inputs, so many different people that are providing your electricity, for instance, that you can't possibly see and never will see. So even if you're trying to exclude people, it's going to be virtually impossible because we all trade with each other and the incentive is for us to all trade with each other peacefully with the best people we possibly can, with the most honest people we possibly can, certainly the most efficient. But that's another important point. We are very, very much incentivized to trade with the most honest people we possibly can because there's a huge cost to doing business with somebody who's dishonest. And there's almost no cost whatsoever. There's actually huge benefits to doing business with people who are honest. That actually brings me to one more point that I'll just close it out with here really quick. Actually, on Mises.org, I shared this article on my Twitter feed, at Everybody Trades, just this past weekend or so. It was actually a piece about virtue signaling, and it wasn't at all what I expected it to be. Essentially, this person was talking about the there's there's high cost virtue signaling and there's low cost virtue signaling and actually the high cost type of virtue signaling actually helps us sort out strangers interactions and trades with strangers and and working out the sort of trust levels that we need with people that we don't actually know now for instance it's a very low cost form of virtue signaling to say to agree that somebody made a racist joke or something like that whether that's true or untrue not really the point the point is it costs you nothing to say hey i'm a good person and that person's bad that doesn't cost you anything 
But if you're going to be a member of the Knights of Columbus, as this person used as an example, you have to be a good a man of 18 years or older, and you have to be a good a member of the Catholic Church in good standing, for instance. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means you have to spend a certain amount of time doing charitable work, doing this, doing that. In other words, it costs you something. It costs you something in order to be a part of this organization, which then, as being part of being a member in good standing of this organization, it actually signals your virtue to other people. See, there you go. But it's again, it's a cost. It's not just a free, oh, I'm going to shoot off a tweet, which costs nothing, and it actually doesn't tell anybody anything. That's the real point. Not only is it low cost, but it's, it doesn't actually do what you think it's going to do. See, if it's low cost, then we don't have any trust in the people who are in the, so, the so-called low-cost virtue signaling group. But the high-cost group, say you're a Boy Scout, an Eagle Scout, that takes something. I know that the are the Boy Scouts done now, by the way. Is that a real thing? Is this a good thing that we want in our lives? We want these types of organizations that literally used to call when you called somebody a Boy Scout, quote unquote, even if they literally were not a Boy Scout, that was a term of honesty, a term of, wow, this is a really good person who is honest. That's basically what a Boy Scout, quote unquote, meant, literally and figuratively. And now we've essentially taken that institution and thrown it down the toilet. Nice job, America. But hey, I'm sure that a bunch of people just saying that they're good people or really just pointing out that they're good people by saying that that person is an asshole or that that person's a racist or a bigot or a homophobe or a transphobe or whatever. Is that the society that we want to give? Is that Create, I should say. Is that the society that is going to create trust and bonds and allow us to create a better society of people who actually advance and of people who actually get along and if people actually get some things accomplished other than just complaining at each other all day. I don't know. I, for one, am sad about the apparent destruction of the Boy Scouts. See, we need those types of high-cost virtue signaling organizations in order to figure out who the good people actually are because you just patting yourself on the back on twitter that doesn't do anything for me and with that we're off to a good start here in 2019 i'm going to give you a lot more of these we're going to add some guests peppered in here and there too so it's not just going to be my whining nasally voice hey thanks guys it's been fun until next time on the everybody trades podcast Thank you.